Hey, welcome to night school. And for as much as it doesn't feel like the right time to talk and comment, I think what I'll do is I'll do some talk. I'll do some talking commentary right now go against my intuition as much as I like to talk about you know going with uh, making the right decisions based on what your intuition tells you sometimes you got to challenge it because what's a catabasis without challenging your intuition without going against the grain you can't enter a catabasis with the hope of persevering and rising out of the rising out on an on the wave of anabasis, you can't expect that without going against your intuition a little bit, but you just have to be very careful. Uh, but yeah, I feel like when I say catabasis, it's something that people are collectively experiencing right now. There is this sort of corona catabasis. And as much as I don't want to talk about what's going on, as much as I don't want to talk about uh, coronavirus or anything like that, because, you know, I'm the kind of person, my, my own personal brand of oppositional defiance is this. If I'm in a restaurant, and this has been me since I was a little kid, if I'm in a restaurant and the waiter drops a pile of dishes in the kitchen and it makes a big racket and everybody's heads turn that way, everybody's like, I'm in a restaurant and I just heard a bunch of dishes break. I wonder what that was. And their head just turns. And of course, you know, it's just, they're just responding to a loud noise. It's not like I'm saying they're all, they're not all sheep. Look at all those sheep turning their heads. You know, I'm not saying that at all. And it's embarrassing to even think that way uh, for an example or a joke or something. But anyway, uh, you know, but I'm the kind of person where my own personal brand of oppositional defiance means I won't turn my head. And I've always been that way. I'm not going to turn my head and look at the kitchen door and go, what was that? But I also recognize that I'm still part of it. Mean, it's not like I'm not turning my head because it's natural. It's actually less natural for me to not turn my head and look at the kitchen where the noise came from. It's actually less natural for me to do that. And it's a stupid form of protest. It's like not standing you know, during the Pledge of Allegiance or the National Anthem at a pep rally at your school or at a sports game. It's like purposely staying sitting down, but yet you don't want to stand up either because that's a weird ritual unto itself. Uh, so you're always in this catch-22 where it's like, well, it's less natural to not look at the loud noise, but when I look at the loud noise, I feel stupid. So what are you going to do? do a podcast that's what you do eventually when podcasts are invented those things that everybody always did when they got their first tape recorder that thing that people did commercially on the radio it has to be reinvented because that's what podcasting is it's like oh it's this new thing but really it's just reinventing something that humans have always done uh, as soon as the technology was available talking can we, uh, can we rig this technology up so that we can just talk into it and other people can hear us talking? That seems to be one of our priorities always. So, of course, we would end up stumbling back to it like it was a brand new thing again. Um, but, uh, yeah, I can't remember what I was riffing on. I guess, oh, yeah, I guess just avoiding the, the corona topic. You know, I, I always have that oppositional defiance. But this seems to be one of those times where you really can't avoid talking about it a little bit. And... If you, you know, if you can avoid it entirely, which I can't, 
that's a luxury and I don't have that luxury, but at the same time, I don't want to just, I feel like everything I see and hear is related to this and, uh, I don't want to. And so, you know, you know, it's way more interesting than talking about the coronavirus. It's talking about why you're not going to talk about the coronavirus, but talking about it anyway, which is the exact same thing as not turning your head when you hear the plate of dishes crash in a restaurant kitchen. It's the exact same thing. And it goes back to what I was saying in yesterday's episode, where participation is a form of celebration. Participating at all is celebrating the phenomenon. It's the person who says they're not watching the Super Bowl, but in saying that, they're participating. It's the person who says, I don't even own a TV, but they make it a point to tell everybody that, so therefore their life revolves around a TV one way or another. Part of their identity still revolves around having not... Part of their identity revolves around not having a TV, but it's still focused. It, it reinforces the reality of TV in their life. You know what I mean? Uh, it's it's all the same thing. Uh, so by not turning your head when you hear the loud noise, it's the same thing as talking about how you don't talk about doing something. It's not natural. Um, but I do feel, if nothing else, like we are in this collective corona catabasis where even though there are plenty of ways that you can keep yourself healthy mentally, physically, spiritually, even though you have many resources, and of course some people a lot more than others, but a lot of people do have certain resources right now in this minute. Even someone who's going to be evicted in a month, you know, right now they do have certain resources available to them. And I know me saying that would be really annoying and insulting and stupid. You know, because when someone has a very pressing issue, it's very easy uh, for an outsider to be like, well, just think about it a little differently. Why don't you just take a step back and uh, see it a little bit? Look at it from this angle. You know, that's, that's never helpful. You know, s- someone has to do that on their own. Again, it comes back to controlling people. And, like, you can't force someone to see something a certain way and the more you try, the more they're going to resent that. And they're not only going to you know, resent you doing it, but they're going to resent the very idea that you're trying to convince them of. Uh, so it's like you can't tell someone to look at things differently. You can't do that. But, uh, you know, I think people can look at this situation as a form of collective catabasis. And all of the things that I talked about in yesterday's episode about the process of catabasis and anabasis, those apply just as easily to everybody. The exact same things can play out on a larger level, uh, entire towns, and in this case, an entire species. You know, everybody can look at this as a form of catabasis where you're dipping down to a place that you don't want to be in, one way or another. One way or another, a lot of people have a feeling right now that they don't like what's happening, they don't like where they're at, and even if they're grateful, even if they're not depressed, even if they have a lot of good things going on mentally and physically right now, there's still a part of them that doesn't like what's going on and doesn't want to be here. And that's how you know that catabasis is available. The process of catabasis is available. Because it's what happens to me when I'm like, oh, uh, I stayed up really late eating shit. You know, I, I stayed up really late snacking. And I'm sleeping in. And my schedule is disrupted. 
my structure is kind of off. It's kind of feeling a little bit flimsy. I'm giving in to whim in ways that don't benefit me. You know, when that's going on, if I stop and I say, okay, I'm in kind of a, a catabasis and it's kind of involuntary because if you had it your way, you'd always be at your best. You'd always be ascending. You'd always be doing well. And anybody, I think, who tries to tell you they're always doing that, uh, I would just be skeptical of it. I mean, who am I to tell them? If somebody feels like they're always climbing, always ascending, I can't take that away from them. And so why would they be defensive? If nobody can take that away from them, nobody should be defensive uh, but I'm, I am skeptical of that sort of thing because I know personally that it seems like you have to kind of fall into a rut now and again, and that's how you recalibrate. That's how you change your form a little bit. Uh, that, that's how you, you know, get some perspective on... It gives you perspective on the good because when you're in a slightly worse place than you'd like to be, it gives you some perspective on the good that you had before and the good that you can look forward to in the future. And not just that, but you can start to recognize the good that you have right now. But that doesn't mean you can completely shake the feeling of feeling down. I don't want to say depressed because I'm not a person who experiences much depression except when it's very circumstantial. And even then, that was, you know, it's like when you get broken up with or something. I wouldn't call that depression. I just call that you were broken up with and you didn't expect it or something, you know. Uh, so for me, it's like I can't, I'm not going to speak too much toward depression, even though I'd say I know what it feels like. Um, but, you know, you, you, can, you can definitely find the good where you're at, too. It doesn't really matter how low you feel. I feel like there is some perspective there, and you can recognize the good feelings when they come if you pay attention. Uh, and and not and not so much that you take yourself out of the game because I mean that's always a a tricky thing where it's like when you notice yourself feeling really good, when you catch yourself feeling totally in harmony and in the moment, and you're like, oh, I'm really happy right now. That's actually not what you want. You know, even though you feel appreciative, it's like you actually, I mean, speaking for myself, it's like I know that I'm truly happy and and present and exactly where I should be because I'm not thinking about it. It's like the idea of the engine again, where even if life is crazy and noisy and all has all these cr things going on that are both good and bad, I know that when I am in harmony, those things don't stand out. And it's like the engine example I used where, you know, it's the same thing for your engine, where just like your life, that engine is actually making some really disruptive, crazy sounds as part of its normal operation. But when you start to hear some little noise in it, you hear some little tick, 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 you know, you hear something in your engine and you go, oh, my God, oh, my God, that's not supposed to be there. And, you, you know, you you start hearing everything, everything. You start to notice how disruptive the whole damn engine is always to begin with. And the things that are normal about that engine, that are a part of that engine's normal operation, suddenly those things don't sound right either. And that's what happens in your life. That's what happens is when something is off, when you're not feeling well, when you're in a low place, when you're feeling down, things that would otherwise just be a normal part of life's routine seem really dark. I mean, someone who's really in a, in a morbid, depressive place, they walk by a playground and think, and they see children playing and immediately think about death. 
I'm not even joking. You know, I, I wouldn't say that my mind went there, but when I've been at low places in my life, I remember seeing like moms and their children on the playground and it making me feel sad. It making me feel some sort of, I don't know what it was. You know, I don't, I don't know exactly what it was, what was causing that sensation, but something about my outlook made this wonderful, you know, this, this wonderful happening, you know, moms and their children on the playground. Something in my mind made that seem sad, and it gets into this sort of, you know, psych 101 bullshit that I always try to avoid, like uh, on The Sopranos. I think it's the first time Tony Soprano goes to Dr. Melfi's office and he's staring at the painting of the barn, and he brings it up to her, and he's just like, yo, what's up with that, uh, the painting of the barn? Uh, what are you trying to do here, Doc? He, he says something, you know, it's not an exact quote, but he pretty much says that. He, he accuses her of trying to place dark thoughts in his head, and in, in her clients' heads, by putting this, like, what he thinks is a dark painting of a barn in her waiting room, and she's like, there's nothing about the, the barn that looks... Uh, depressing. There's nothing sad about that barn. Sometimes a barn is just a barn. Why does it make you feel that way? Uh, you know, it does kind of get into that territory. And even though I hate that Psych 101 stuff, and The Sopranos, for example, like, it was fun to watch those psych, uh, the therapy sessions the first time you see the show, and I've seen it many times over. Uh, but once you start watching The Sopranos all the way through multiple times, like I just end up fast-forwarding those scenes because they do fall too deep into this kind of psych 101. Like, let's help the viewers paint by numbers to see what's going on in Tony's head. Uh, you know, it's just not something I can deal with. Um, but that said, I mean, obviously Psych 101 is based on something, and there is a lot of projection that goes on. Projection, there's that word. And, uh, you know, you, you do end up, like, I realized that myself, walking by playgrounds. And it, I kind of convinced myself years ago that playgrounds were depressing. I kind of convinced myself that the idea of moms taking their kids to playgrounds was somehow kind of sad. And, and that's weird that I twisted things up that way. And I'm not, it's not like I was standing on a, a soapbox saying this, just so you know. Mama's taking the kids to playgrounds is actually sad. You know, it's not like I was like, I don't think I ever ever verbalized this to another person, but it was just something I noticed. And I noticed, though, when I started to feel better. You know, let's use the soul untwisting example. You know, I knew that my soul was untwisting a little bit a few years ago because I remember having an experience where I walked by a playground and I, I didn't feel at all weird about it. I didn't feel that it was a depressing place. I remember actually thinking it was kind of happy, and it was. I felt like a normal person. I felt like the person who, you know, if I went to the grocery store, I'd smile at a baby, but I wouldn't because I know that that's not socially acceptable as a man. Um, but, uh, you know, I did have this experience of walking by a playground and realizing, oh, you know, it's, it's not sad. It's not that this playground that I'm seeing right now is somehow a happier playground than all those other playgrounds I saw over the years that made me sad, but it was just something, and and uh, you know, and some of it might have been some sort of association. Like I remember some really like weird, dark stuff happening on the elementary school playground, like uh, kids falling, busting their teeth out. A kid got a concussion by falling off a jungle gym. 
uh, kids just being really wild and unruly. And I think, you know, some of my association with uh, playgrounds was that, too, of just being in this weird primordial childhood chaos, being a kindergartner on a playground with sixth graders. That was terrifying for me. And you, you ever wanted to... I've never been to therapy, but all of a sudden... Uh, you're my shrink right here. I'm telling you all about it. It was terrifying for me to be... It was terrifying for me to be a, a five-year-old on a playground with 12-year-olds because they were huge. And so, you know, I got a whole lot of feelings about playgrounds that may have led to seeing them as depressing. But what I know, the important point is, is there was a moment where I realized playgrounds weren't depressing to me. Have I gone by playgrounds since then and they've seemed they've seemed depressing? Yeah, I have actually. And that's a part that's how you know you're in a catabasis. It's exactly what I mean when I said, you know, you start to notice you seem a little down, you start to feel like your discipline's getting a little looser, you don't want to do the things that you were all fired up to do that you know are healthy and good for you. You start to notice yourself complaining more. Could be any number of things. Uh, and I think they are pretty common among people. I mean, I think we all have, I think all of our dark tendencies tend to be similar, just like all of our, you know, light tendencies are. Um, you know, we all have similar patterns that play out in us. You know, I'm not the only one who used to think playgrounds were sad. I'm the only one who's ever felt playgrounds were sad. Um, that's one of my lyrics. That's one of, that's one of the lines to my latest poem. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you, you can recognize that you're in a catabasis when you start to feel down, when you start to feel anxious, when you start to feel weird, uh, when you start to be Tony Soprano looking at a barn thinking it's a sad barn or a dark barn. And to be totally fair, this is actually a criticism I have, uh, maybe not a criticism of the show, but definitely a criticism of Dr. Melfi, the character on the show. It's that that is a sad painting of a barn. I don't care how happy I am. Tony is on the money. The, that painting, like, like if you ever watch The Sopranos, pay attention to that barn that it shows in Dr. Melfi's waiting room. That thing is a sad, depressing, dark barn. And I know. There was an abandoned barn a little ways away from here that I used to go to. And uh, there was no farm nearby anymore. It was just overgrown. There was brush all around it. You could tell teen teenagers had brought like a mattress that they just left there, and God knows what happened on that mattress. And there was just like weird graffiti that doesn't belong in the Pacific Northwest, like crypts and blood shit. Just it was just a dark place. It felt like a place where you, if you went there at night, you'd stumble upon a satanic ritual, a real meaningful, scary satanic ritual too, one that is genuinely terrifying. Uh, you know, it felt like that kind of place. So I know what a dark barn is like. And this barn that was shown in The Sopranos, this painting of a barn, was dark and depressing, as Tony said. Uh, so, you know, there are sometimes, too, like, just like how Dr. Melfi on The Sopranos said, sometimes a barn is just a barn. And I don't even remember if she actually said that, but people say shit like that all the time, where they're like, sometimes, a, you know, a playground is just a playground. Sometimes a barn is just a barn, and you project your feelings onto it. Well, sometimes things are dark. Sometimes things are depressing. Sometimes a painting of a barn does have something dark and foreboding captured within it. You know, sometimes a playground probably is weird and dark and depressing. I mean, think about The Outsiders, where they, where the kid gets stabbed to death on a playground. You know, I'm not projecting onto that. 
I'm not projecting, you know, my own feelings onto that. Um, but, uh, but let's get into the idea of, of, you know, like catabasis again, you know, I'm obviously kind of riffing on this and, uh, you know, I think the same things I said about catabasis yesterday, you know, recognizing when you're in a down period, recognizing when you're kind of slipping and having the intention of coming out of it, not seeing it as, okay, this is the, the slippery slope into the abyss, because that's something that that hap- has happened to me. I mean, there was a point in my life where I, I remember thinking, oh, things are getting kind of dark and and abysmal. Maybe this just is that slippery slope into the abyss. Maybe maybe this is just that point in my life where I fall into the abyss forever. Um, hope you all miss me, you know. Uh I've had those moments, and a lot of people have as well, and I think sometimes they say, well, I'm just going to gonna roll with it. If I'm going to stumble down this sharp, steep cliff down into the abyss, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to roll down it. I'm going to just roll down. I'm going to do what I can to just embrace it and whatever. Uh, But I, you know, that happens on a larger level and on a societal level too. It's what's playing out. And I think some people see what's going on as an opportunity, opportunity to embrace all of their self-destructive tendencies. It, It, confirms for them that rich people are evil and out to get everybody else. It confirms for people that, you know, people are narcissistic, toilet paper hoarders, hoarders. It, it reinforces for some people that, you know, uh, some people are these nihilistic, you know, they go out in the world and knowingly spread bugs, even though it could kill people. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people see what's going on right now is very dark, and they're focusing on the dark aspects. And um, we're all in the same situation in that we have to stay inside. We can't just randomly go to the grocery store every time we feel like getting something. Every time we feel like Rocky Road ice cream. Uh, you know, you can't do that right now. So we're all in the similar situation physically. But there are people who see this as an opportunity, opportunity to embrace apocalypse. It's an opportunity to embrace the things that make them feel powerless and depressed. It's a chance to just wallow. And I think it's a good opportunity to do that. I don't think people need to see this as, as oh, it's a chance for me to do 100 push-ups a day and uh, paint that oil painting that I've been putting off. You know, it's great if you can do that and that feels right, but I, I don't think you should feel pressure to do that. I don't think you should feel pressure to clean the house. I don't think you should feel pressure to, you know, take care of those tasks that you've been meaning to take care of. I think that you can wallow right now in this feeling because it is a perpetual Sunday. You know, this Corona catabasis is a perpetual Sunday where it's almost like a weekend. It's almost like a weekend because a lot of your normal obligations have gone out the window right now. You know, who knows what you're going to worry about next week or in a month. But it's like right now, a lot of people are on vacation. And I don't think it's wrong for them to embrace that because I've seen some some of the shame that's gone around you know, it's been an opportunity for people to shame each other because that's part of the abyss. That's part of the darkness. That's part of focusing on, you know, what's in the shadows of this situation. And a part of that is the shaming and and the fear that go that you know underlies all of that shame. Uh, but uh, within that, uh, what was I saying about shame? Um, 
I don't know, but just, you know, it's, 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 you know, entering into this situation, I think you need to, well, to, well, to get back to like the idea that it's, it, we're on this, like this, this vacation almost, but we don't know what day that's going to end. That's what I mean by perpetual Sunday. Sundays have always been a big topic on this show because it, there's just this feeling of dread that goes along with it. And you can have the best Sunday in the world, football all day. You're watching football all day. It's the most interesting time in the season. Every game's important. It's Sunday, though. You know, and no matter what, and even if you don't work or have school, Sunday still feels like Sunday. Sunday is a, a phenomenon, you know, and it's written into Scripture that Sunday, there's something different, you do something else on Sunday. And uh, there's just something about Sunday. And I've had wonderful Sundays. I'm not going to let Sunday ruin Sunday for me. You know what I mean? I'm not going to let the fact that it's Sunday and Sunday has certain qualities that that are inescapable. I'm not going to let the fact that it's Sunday ruin the fact that it's Sunday for me. But I can't deny that it's Sunday either. And so that's sort of where we're at right now, where I don't want to look at the loud bang in the kitchen because the waiter dropped a, a pile of plates. But I also know that by not looking, I'm still participating. And it's the same thing with what's going on with all of us right now, where it's like I don't want to immerse myself in corona hysteria. I don't want to check the news constantly. But in not doing that, I'm still participating in some way. And... I think that there is opportunity to be grateful and to enjoy this time that you have, even if it's stressful, even if it's you know scary, which I think it is for nearly everybody to different degrees. Uh, but you know, it is this perpetual Sunday, and that's the hard part about it is it doesn't feel like a Saturday and we know Sunday's coming. It just kind of feels like each day is Sunday and we don't know if we're going to wake up and get called in to go to the office or go to school or go somewhere where we don't go on the weekends. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like that. It's like almost like we're expecting that phone call in the morning. We don't know. You know, it's, it's today's Sunday and we don't know what we're going to have to do tomorrow. And I think that's contributing to the downward turn that many of us feel like we've personally taken in all of this. And of course, if we all feel that way, it means that our species is, is doing that. We, we've all taken a downward you know, t- turn. But it is very important to think, I'm going to ascend out of this too. There's going to be an anabasis. And part of that is by keeping my head clear, not giving in to self-destruction, not giving in to truly toxic thinking, not shaming people. You know, it's okay if playgrounds seem sad right now. And actually, that's a really relevant topic because the playgrounds around here have yellow, like, evidence tape around them. <laughs> you know, like, it, like, like I, I went to an elementary school yesterday just to walk, and all of the playground equipment had evident, yellow evidence tape, caution tape. I mean, I was, who, who knew that I was ahead of my time? Who knew that I was ahead of the game as far as thinking playgrounds are depressing? Because right now, playgrounds actually are objectively depressing. They're cordoned off with yellow tape. I mean, that's pretty depressing. Um, 
So, you know, we all have reason to, to be on this down note is what it all comes down to. But I do believe it's important to see this as a, ca- a process of, you know, I kept using the term catabasic, you know, to describe the process of, of, of some, something that is happening within catabasis. Like, oh, that is a you know, part of the catabasic process. I think it's actually catabatic. It doesn't sound right. I tried looking it up because I just knew that I wasn't right. It doesn't matter. I'm talking about words nobody cares about or uses in their daily lives anyway. Who cares? Um, go back to talking about the perpetual Sunday. That resonates with people. Those are words. Those are people words. People understand what that means. If you were to say to someone, oh, quarantine is kind of like living in a perpetual Sunday, everybody would understand what that means. Um, but if you were to say, how's your corona catabasis going? Some people would go, what the frick are you talking about? Um, but I think that's, that's what it all comes down to, is no matter what, you are a participant in the perpetual Sunday. And yesterday happened to be Easter, and if you acknowledged it, you participated. But I, I've been using that example of talking about participation as a form of celebration when it comes to, to things that you don't like. You know, someone who says, I don't believe in Jesus. There's no way that the zombie Jesus came and floated out of the earth. I'm an atheist. Uh, You know, someone can say that all they want, but by acknowledging it, they are participating in and therefore celebrating Easter, the way I see it. Uh, In the same way that, like, a losing team in a game, they are still... The celebration isn't what happens when the game is over and a team wins. The celebration is the participation in the game itself. You can't... The ultimate form of celebration of a football game is playing in a football game. It's not what happens after the game is over. But celebrating the game is playing it. It means that you want to take the time. It means that you are invested enough that you want this game to happen. And it's wanting the thing to happen that is the sincerest form of celebration. It's not, you know, holding a trophy. It's participation in the thing itself. And it's the same thing when I when I talk about Easter and Super Bowl, where it's like, you know, people who think that they need to take a stand against certain holidays or certain, you know, public events, they actually want those to exist because they want to express themselves. They want to participate in it. You know, they they want to be a part of it in some way. And because they want to be a part of it, they are celebrating it. They're just doing it in their own way. And all of this, of course, applies to life itself, where it's when you're simply participating in life that you are celebrating it the most. And it's why some people have misgivings about taking photos, like they don't want to stop an event and all gather together to take a photo because they feel like it disrupts the the participation in the event itself. They feel like it stops the flow. Um, and I understand that. I know that feeling. But I'm I'm in the same way that I'm against phone shaming. I'm also against photo shaming. Uh, you know, there are some people who hate it when someone wants to take a bunch of photos. I found that even in moments where I felt like someone was taking maybe a few too many photos, I appreciated it later. I love looking back at photos. I love old photos, and I'm always happy when someone took photos. And what you have to realize is that somebody taking photos is their own form of participation and celebration. In the same way that one person might think, like, you know, I'm going to get the most out of this event if I just 
am talking the whole time, if I'm watching the game, if I'm not taking the time to document it. There are some people who feel that that is the, the, the best way to celebrate the fact that you are there and in the moment and doing something that makes life worth living. But there are other people where taking a photo enhances it. We're taking that photograph, taking the time to photograph the event. For them, that is them participating and appreciating and celebrating the moment too. And both those people are right. You know, both of those people are right in that moment. Uh, and uh, it works just as well for like bad things as well as good things. Like in the same way that, you know, like protesting Easter is participating and therefore celebrating Easter. Uh, the same is true for events that, you know, you do want to be at. You know, participating in things that you do like and you do approve approve of, that's that's celebration as well. And that's obvious. I mean, that's obvious to people that, of course, if you're participating in something enthusiastically, you're celebrating it. But it's the same idea whether you like something or don't like something. The amount of focus you put on it, the, the amount of participation you give the amount of basic acknowledgement you give to that thing is in and of itself a celebration, whether you're for or against it, whether you're on this team or that team. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the teams that people put themselves on is, is the team of darkness. And there are people who already surround themselves in dark subject matter, in dark symbols, and the way I see that is people who live that way normally, as somebody who, speaking from my own experience, who has lived that way, still does sometimes. Here's a secret, I still do sometimes. Um, but as someone who, you know, has allowed a certain level of darkness into my life, who feels like I gravitated toward those things, those sorts of interests, um, in a weird way, I, I feel like that's a form of, you know, there's always the example of like, if, if, if someone's a fat kid, they should be the first one to make a joke about it. Because that's a form of controlling the situation. If you think that people are going to make fun of you for something, if people, if you think someone's going to make a joke at your expense about being fat, they teach you, be the first person to, to comment on your weight. If you're the first one who does it, you ha you gain control. You gain ownership of that thing. And that's true. I, I, and, I, and people do that in all kinds of different ways, where making a joke about the thing gives you ownership over it. Uh, and if, if it's something self-deprecating, it's especially true. You, you have the right to take ownership. If you're fat, you have the right to take ownership of it, whether it's out of insecurity, whatever your motivation for wanting to own it is just to avoid being made fun of by someone else, whatever it is. It's like, you know, taking ownership of it, I feel like it's always a good thing. Uh, but I feel the same way about people who have based their identity around dark things. And what comes to mind is a goth, maybe, or, you know, somebody who's into metal or anything where it's like they they surround themselves in the most stereotypical dark imagery that's out there, D literally black clothing, you know, pentagrams. And, and I feel like somebody, I feel like an outsider, even, even though I'm very much an insider when it comes to this subject, I feel like an outsider describing it right now. They wear black clothes and pentagrams. They wear bl black clothes and they cover themselves in pentagrams. <laughs> but honestly, it is that way. 
as much as I sound like an outsider, it might as well just be as simple as that. It really might as well be. But I feel like people who do that, like people who wear their interests on their sleeve, especially dark interests, I almost feel like that's a form of... It's, it's like the fat kid making a joke about himself so that nobody else can, except instead it, it's about the world. When people want to, like, when they want to represent the world as some sort of, like, dark person with dark interests who wears a lot of black, you know, when someone presents themselves that way, I feel like on some level what they're communicating is the world is a dark place, and by appearing dark... You know, I'm I'm pointing it out first. Bad things can't happen to me, and you can't accuse me of doing bad things because I have tattoos and a band shirt. You know, I, I feel like there is this aspect of that where it's like, I'm going to, well, the world's a dark place and dark things can happen, so I'm going to be dark first. You know, I feel like it's some, you know, hopefully this isn't sounding like total nonsense. Hopefully it is. Hopefully this does sound like total nonsense, because I just, I just want to waste your time. The only reason I do this show is to waste your time, which that joke is itself a form of what I'm talking about. If I say that this show is stupid, that means that you can't think it's stupid. It means that I, you can't call me fat if I, if I make a joke about how I'm fat. You can't call this show stupid if I call it stupid first. You can't say the world is a dark, morbid place if I'm dressed like a dark, morbid person. It's all the same thing. Um, you know, it's armor. It's, uh, you know, something. It's armor or something. Uh, but, you know, I, I do feel like people... One of the reasons people gravitate toward dark imagery, dark interests, and I understand that's a pretty broad subject. Dark. What is darkness anyway? Are you talking about? You know, I'm talking about anything that is based around anything that forms a cult around negative emotions. It could be sadness. It could be depression. It could be anger. It could be hatred. It could be. It could even be sort of a, a detached thing like forensics true crime, basically anything that uses negativity as a resource, to me, is darkness. Um, and, and so in some people, you know, they base their lives around that identity. And in some way, it's like they're trying to beat the world to the punch or something. Like the world is going to do something bad to them, so they might as well be a representation of darkness anyway. And if something bad happens, they can say, see, see, see how the world is. I'm an expert in this. Um, it's, it's similar to, you know, the example I've used on here before about littering, where littering is not an attempt to make the world ugly. Someone who litters already believes the world is ugly, and they're just throwing another piece of ugliness into the big sea of ugliness that is their life and everything they come into contact with. Their soul is twisted up. The world appears ugly to begin with. Ugly things happen, and they're committed by ugly people. Ugly actions are taken by ugly people, and throwing a, you know, an empty Dairy Queen cup 
onto the lawn as you walk because you don't want to hold it anymore. What is the difference between that Dairy Queen cup and a bush? Because it's all ugly. Because everything that makes the world what it is is ugly. That's that's really what's going on in a litterer, and it's why littering is so terrifying to me. You know, I'm just imagining, like, I know I've littered before as a kid, and, you know, I've known people who have littered. You know, it happens. Sometimes you litter. But when I really think about somebody who, who habitually litters into adulthood... That is terrifying. That person is capable of anything. That person, to me, like someone who, who thinks the world is already ugly and therefore it doesn't matter if they throw an ugly piece of garbage you know, into the world, it, that, to me, that person is scary. That person is capable of, of scary things. There's something sociopathic about it. And it, you know, maybe I'm being a little dramatic, there's something kind of sociopathic about when someone litters. But there is. It's somebody who, if, if they think the world is ugly, that person could be capable of any kind of ugly act. And I'm not saying all litterers are murderers. Litter equals murder. That's, you know, you've heard of meat. Meat is murder. Litter is murder. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's sort of similar to that where... It's like somebody who surrounds themselves in dark symbols on some level is communicating uh, that the world is a dark place and I'm just going to represent that. Even though a lot of people who are into, you know, these subgenres, all these things, like it, they're not usually that dark of people. You know, sometimes they are, but it's like a lot of them are, are pretty normal and, you know, well-adjusted and they just have this interest that means that... They're just, they just have this interest that, that means they'll never be entirely happy with their record collection. Uh, that's usually what, kind of what a lot of it boils down to. But I think there is something deeper to representing yourself with darkness and trying to embody that some way as a part of your identity because you see the world that way or you see that as a fundamental part of reality, which it is. But... I know for me, as like part of this catabasis, it's not an excuse to wear black. You know, I don't, I don't think catabasis is, is a way to make your identity synonymous with darkness. It's like, oh, during my catabasis, where I'm going to like kind of wallow and let myself feel like negative things or just let things be a little lower than they should be, you know, I don't think you want to... I don't, I don't think you want to use that as an opportunity to create a darkness workshop, you know, where it's like, you know what I mean? I don't think you want to start cultivating it and making it a part of who you are. I mean, some, some of that's a little bit inevitable, but I don't think you want to, you don't want to be the darkness that you think is out there. You know, you can look at a playground and think it's sad, but you don't want to do anything to make that playground sad. <laughs> I guess is a way of putting it. So you really have to look at the ways that you might be impacting other people and impacting the world because you don't want to turn your own catabasis into... You don't want to let it bleed into other people's lives. You know, you don't want to drag other people down. Just because you feel like other people are down too, you know, you don't want to let commiseration turn into dragging other people down because I see that happening. While I think social media is, is a wonderful tool to have in a time like this, and is actually probably doing a lot more good than bad, I know it is. You know, I know people love to, in the same way they love to phone shame and photo shame, they love to social media shame. 
but I think this is an example of where social media it actually has a very clear function in getting information out there, in allowing people to stay in touch with each other in different ways, giving people other universes as humble as, as they are, these, these small, humble, alternate universes to communicate in. I think that's all very good. But I also see where it is, unsurprisingly, also a way to kind of drag other people into the darkness. And that's where the shaming comes in. That's where the, you know, some of the, uh, the uh, virtue signaling, because this has been a great opportunity for people to do that. You know, I'm doing all the right things. I'm doing everything perfectly. Uh, but I don't think most people are thinking that way or doing that. But I, I do see where some people are dragging each other down. I do see where some people are reinforcing these apocalyptic views. Because if all your friends are saying it's the apocalypse and you're reading that constantly, well, eventually you're going to start saying it too. You know, if all your friends are covered in pentagrams on Easter talking about the apocalypse, well... You know, that might not be the the best situation for you. Not because they're these, you know, powerful overlords of negativity who are going to ruin your life, but it might just subtly bring you down. It might keep you down longer than you need to be. Because that's something to be aware of when you're going through a, the process of catabasis is you don't want to stay down longer than you need to. And it's good to think of it as necessary. It's good to think of a, a, a catabasic, catabatic, catabolistic. It's great to think of a cannibalistic catabasis as as necessary. It's it's great to think of a down slope. It's great to think of a perpetual Sunday as somehow necessary. That's something you need to go through, like a trial. I think it's good to think of it that way. But again, you have to remember that you're going to ascend. You're not going to stay down here longer than you need to. And right now, you do need to. Right, right now, you, you do need to look in the mirror a lot. You do need to stay inside a lot. You know, barring, you know, because you know, if you don't, they're going to put the National Guard out on the streets. They're going to do what they've done in other countries, maybe, something. I mean, there's, there's a threat there. So you, either way you cut it, you're going to have to stay inside. You're going to have to look in the mirror, and you want to look in the mirror. You know, if you're stuck at home with yourself, you want to look at yourself. You, know, you want to see that hunk of flesh. You want to look at yourself. Because if you, if you can't even look yourself in the mirror, like, I mean, I had this experience the other night. Um, I, was, I felt really bloated. I had overeaten. I ate some stuff I, you know, didn't feel good about having eaten, and I ate too much of it. And I went, I, I went to go brush my teeth before bed, and I, this thought honestly crossed my mind. I thought, I think I'll just keep the light off in the bathroom and not look in the mirror when I brush my teeth. <laughs> I had that thought. I was like, I think that I'm not even going to look at myself. Because it wasn't just one day of overeating. It was, you know, two or three days of just, like, you know, stupidly, you know, you know, not not maintaining the right pace, you know, right now with, with not being able to go to the grocery store. It's stupid to overeat. It's stupid to binge eat. But I did it a couple nights in a row. And then that next night, like after I did it again, I, I didn't actually want to look at myself while I brushed my teeth. <laughs> but I think it's good to look at yourself. You don't want to hide from yourself because it doesn't matter. You know, you're, whatever you look like right now doesn't matter. 
but you should keep it. You should keep tabs on it. Keep tabs on it. Remember your face. Remember what you look like. Don't let the phone shamers get to you. Take photos of yourself. You know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, reveling in your own bodily existence right now. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, don't don't keep the lights off while you brush your teeth like me. <laughs> uh, but that's how you know you're in catabasis is it's things like that. It's it's having that thought. Think about that. Have, like think about when you're feeling good. Oh, I think I'm gonna brush my teeth with the lights off because I don't want to look at myself tonight before I go to bed. Uh, you know, it's, it's that sort of thought. That's how you know you're on like a, a little bit of a downward. You're just on a little downward turn, but it's temporary. I'm going to turn the lights on tomorrow, and, and I'm, I'm really going to look at my face. I mean, I ended up with a zit on my head uh, from probably, you know, there was a pack of gummy bears that's been sitting around for months that I haven't touched. I ate that and some other stuff, and, like, you know, woke up the next day with a big zit on my forehead, and I'm just like, it's, it's not even the, it's, I don't care about how it looks. It's that feeling. You know, you feel like a, a gross teenager again when you're an adult with a zit on your head. And knowing that it's because you were eating garbage, you know, it, it's just one of those things. And it's like, do I want to look at myself in the mirror with a zit on my head? Well, I, I'm going to make myself. I'm going to make myself. Uh, you know, because that's participating. You know, whether you look great, whether you don't. You know, look at yourself in the mirror. That's a celebration. That's participation. This is as close as I will ever come to the body positivity movement, if that's even a thing anymore. Because all these, did all these movements die out? Did all these things that people were debating, all these hot topics, did they just die out because of, you know, a very real life and death issue? Are people still talking about these things? The closest I'm ever going to come to the body positivity movement is, you know, when you, when you've binge eaten for a few days, and you have a big zit on your forehead, don't brush your teeth with the lights out. Look at yourself. Don't celebrate. Don't, don't praise it. Don't be like, this is exactly what I... You know what? I'm at my best when I have a zit on my forehead and I'm bloated because I ate gummy bears and almonds until 4 a.m. You know, that's, that's not a moment to be like, this is where I should be. This is in praise of me right now. But it is a moment to look at yourself, and in looking at yourself, you are celebrating the fact that you're alive. You might not see what you see in the mirror as the ideal form of you, but you are celebrating. Because, I mean, you can do that. You can, you can say, this is not my ideal form, but I can still celebrate the fact that I have a form and I'm a participant in life. Because that seems to be what the body positivity thing is missing for me, is that... It's about celebrating the fact that you're alive. It's not about thinking, you know, you know what I mean? Where it's, it's, it's not actually about the form itself. It should be about celebrating the fact that you're alive, but you shouldn't take self-improvement out of it. Uh, you, you know, you shouldn't, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like now is the time to talk about all these two months ago, these these topics that were hot topics two months ago. Now is the time to talk about these things. Normally, I'm like, why is anybody talking about that? Why is anybody talking about, you know, fat shaming? Why is anybody talking about, you know, race? Normally, I'm just like, do we really need to have this same conversation again and so that you can scream at you and neither of you can change your minds and you just... 
celebrate the fact that you have something to disagree over because that's really the reason why you're playing that game to begin with. Um, you know, now is the time to get into that. While we're cooped up and worried about life and death, now might be the time to think about, you know, well, what is my view on that thing? When I'm worried about something much larger, when I'm worried about my physical, mental, and financial well-being, maybe that's the time to start getting to the heart of these other things. Now that we have this time, let's really think about what those things mean. Let's really decide what are the things that we are going to fight over in the future. Uh, you know, when things get back to normal, you don't have to spin it in a bad way. Oh, you know, once, once everything's back to normal and we're fighting again over stupid shit, you don't even have to think about it that way. It's just you have to think, like, once we're fighting again about stupid shit, that's a sign that we're no longer in this current catabasis. That's a sign that we've ascended. So we can actually celebrate that moment when we're at each other's throats over nonsense again because that means we're no longer going through this. Uh, but, you know, maybe now is the time to sort through some of those, you know, things that... You know, some people think are petty, some people think are important, some people both think they're important, but they have complete opposite views and can't stop arguing. Maybe now's the time to do that. As much as I'm against the idea of people's limited interactions right now being negative or hostile, it would be an interesting time to see people sort these things out. It would be an interesting time for people to really get in touch with how they actually feel about things when they're not caught up in the, you know, conveyor belt of feelings that normally consume our every, our everyday reality, you know? Uh, maybe now is the time to actually think about these things, and we can enter the next phase. As we ascend, we can enter the, f the next phase with a little bit more clarity of what's important to us, because that's what the process of catabasis does on a personal level, and I feel that it's what it does on a social level, on a larger level, on, on a sp the level of our entire species. I was, I was trying to figure out whether I was going to say special. Special? on a special level, and by that I mean species. Uh, but no, it, it's a chance, uh, going through this collective catabasis, this corona catabasis, being stuck in a perpetual Sunday where we don't actually know when Monday's coming, being in this Groundhog Day, you know, it, it, it is a chance to say, well, what am I going to bring with me on the other side? When things get better, which they eventually will one way or another, whether you're a part of that or not, it doesn't, you know, things will get better because that's something you have to recognize too is that nothing is guaranteed. You aren't, you know, things can get better and you're not a part of it. Things, you know, things could stay the same and you are a part of it. You know, it, it's one of those things where it doesn't depend on you alone, but you can be a participant now. You can think now, what am I going to bring with me when things get better? And if everybody thought that way, people are going to be bringing good things with them. They are going to be bringing clarity with them. Uh, so that's one way to think about this. What are the things, and not the material things, not the books, not the, the CDs, you know, it's not about bringing, what, what of those are you going to bring with you? It's, you know, what are the thoughts that you are going to bring with you on the other side of this? 
as anabasis replaces catabasis, what are the things that you are bringing with you? What are the things that are more clear? What are the things that are going to make what's already better even better? You know, I think that's a way to approach it. What are the good things that I can take out of this, even though this might not be a good time? This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children